Welcome to another episode of Empower Apps. I'm your host, Leo Dion. Today, I'm joined by Paul Pierre Abadia. Paul, thank you so much for coming on. Amazing. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, been a long-time listener of the podcast, and yeah, happy to, to be here. Well, I'm happy to have you. Big fan of your blog and your newsletter, and we started using your app, which we'll talk about QRE8. So I am super excited to have you on. We met in Italy. Mm-hmm. In person and so yeah before we get started i'll let you go ahead and introduce yourself yes yeah, so paul um yeah i'm an is engineer i've been for the past about six years i've been living in the uk i'm originally from spain but been living in the uk for the last nine years i work at the bbc uh, at the moment that's all about to change so i'm gonna move countries in about a month so i'm going back to spain going back home and I'm starting like a new chapter, new adventure and everything next month. Nice. So that's why my background is very empty at the moment. I've got boxes all over the place. So it's <laughs> just tidying up my whole life in this flat and everything. Well, yeah. But other than my IRS role, I write, as you said, I write a lot of content online. I've got my newsletter and the IRS newsletter. I've got my blog, which is probably a dev. Yeah. Just try to like keep up with the community and write as, as I learn and as I kind of like do a bunch of stuff. I focus like mainly as well on like tooling, CSD, which is like my main kind of like area of like interest and expertise. So yeah, I write a lot of like tooling, talk a lot about tooling as well at conferences. So yeah, that's that's a bit about about me. And we did an episode a few years ago with Kyle Newsom and it's some things have changed a bit in that space. What's been the big, big changes in the last few years when it comes to CI? I think in terms of like the like CI, CSCD and how it's like changed over the years, I think the introduction of things like GitHub Actions has like really opened up like a world of possibilities for like people wanting to learn more about what goes like under the hood and wanting to like make things for like their own their own apps. Like since I started my career, it's been it, it was always like a gray area that there was one person who was like some form of like wizard in the company or someone who really knew about CSV right. that all of the work was yeah, done exactly. to them. So that was one of my, my passions was to like learn a lot about it and properly understand it and make everyone in your team as well involved with it because we're, we're all like responsible as, as part of like an IOS team. I think mainly big changes, you don't like, there's a lot of like things now that you can like find out there, like in the open, you can do for free as well. So you've got GitHub Actions. If you've got a public repository, for example, you can get unlimited minutes for Macros runners. Arguably, it's not the fastest, but you can literally, there's no barrier of entry to your like CSD if you've got like public repositories. Uh, it doesn't have the fastest updates. Let's not forget that. No, it, it really doesn't. Like they... It probably has the slowest updates, actually, I don't say. So, yeah. yeah, and it's actually very expensive if you want to get the macros runners on, like, private repos as well. It's it's okay. fairly pricey, and it doesn't come with, like, fast updates either. You go, like, GitHub hosted. But, yeah, there's there's that, like, how open, like, things are becoming, how much content there is on there. I feel like there is quite a lot of, like, resources that from people, I don't know, one that comes to mind is Roger, who's one of the core contributors at Fastlane. He writes a ton about, like, CSV as well. And there's, like, Manu Herrera as well, who I share a lot in my blog, who also writes a lot about CSV. And I feel like the this is one of, like, the main, like, 
changes I've seen over the past few years where a lot of people have seemed to be like very interested and writing a lot of content about the actual building side of an application. And obviously the big like game changer in the past few years for like iOS apps is Xbox Cloud. Uh, Obviously, I think it was last year or the year before that it got, it got introduced. Right. But yeah, it's made in my, from my point of view, it's made like deploying apps like super, super easy and setting up a CICD pipeline for your iOS app is literally just a no brainer. And directly from, from Xcode, then it's just super, super easy. So for me, that's in terms of like iOS CSD, that's the big like game changer over the past couple of years. What's your thoughts? Like if you were going to get started today without any experience, what would you use? So if I, yeah, if I was a company that was starting today, or if I was an indie dev that, and I've actually done that for, for Curate as well, I would go for either... Xcode Cloud, or I would go for whatever, like either the company is using and people are most familiar with. I think there's like options which are very, if it's not Xcode Cloud, GitHub Actions is risky. I would probably go with, if you go in GitHub hosted runners, it's risky because you're going to get pretty slow runners or you're going to have to pay a lot for the fast ones and you're going to be waiting a long, long time for updates. And yeah, but if you, like, this is what we use at the BBC, GitHub Actions itself hosted runners that seems to be like a very you're in charge of your machines you can basically just commission them and sign them provision right. them yourself you can also i think a lot of people are going down the route of like us c2 instances with you can basically spin up so you don't actually have to maintain the physical hardware so you can just spin up machines in in aws personally i would go for export cloud if i'm doing a really yeah an app to be honest, I think I found that workflow absolutely frictionless. I'm a big fan of like Fastlane as well and how much it's improved like the code signing, which is for me the biggest troublemaker when it comes to CICD. And, yes, uh, Match is amazing. Yeah, it, it really, really is. And it made things super easy. But when you've got Xcode Cloud, you forget that code signing actually exists. It all happens right. under the hood for you. It's all managed. It will create like all your provisioning profiles, everything you need. So yeah, that's that's what I would go. It's been what I've used for any like in the kind of like small apps that I have made. There is a big problem with that. There's a limitation with that uh, at the moment. And the limitation is that you can't have standalone Swift packages basically on, on Xcode Cloud. So you, yeah, right. Yeah. That's not their forte. Exactly. It makes sense. So if you're developing a library, basically, and you just want to use Xcode Cloud for your Swift package, you can't do it like standalone. You need to embed it in an application and then create a an app on App Store Connect as well so that you can have a link to it. It's a bit... Yeah, it's oh, a bit, wow. That's... Yeah, painful. Seems, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're really trying to put a square peg in a round <laughs> hole there. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, their interest is getting stuff on the app store. So that makes total sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I use GitHub Actions for all my Swift package mm-hmm. stuff. That's just the easiest way to go. Uh, yeah. The headache with versioning. So there's one issue, maybe, I don't know how you'd get around this, is like, how could you do like something like self-hosted on a public repo? Because they definitely discourage that for security reasons. Like if somebody forks, they can run it on your machine and stuff. But it's like, I don't know how else to get around the fact that they don't update their machines, but then I want to <laughs> test my public repo on a modern 
OS that's been around for a few months. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think you can, so I think you can, I understand why it would be discouraged, but I think you can prevent people from running the actions if they're like on a fork. Uh, I think you can, you can okay. do certain like security measures around it. So you can like really be in control of what gets run on your machine. I think other than that, I know it is like, yeah, it's a massive like limitation that you can yeah, the versions are, are so old, but for my open source like of packages, I just use like GitHub Actions with GitHub hosted runners because they're free, basically, and that's something that I really appreciate. Right. But it's not. Right, 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 right. Yeah, it's not great though. Like yeah. the performance, I think they're Intel machines at the moment. I don't know. Last time I checked at the roadmap, it was the fourth quarter of this year that they were introducing M1, like Silicon. Uh, I don't know if they've done it yet. Wow. But wow. yeah, there's still Intel runners limited to three cores, only three gear, uh, which is really not ideal. Yeah. You can go for the X. So I run Excel. all my, yeah. my apps. I do GitLab because it's super cheap. And then I do GitLab CI, whatever they call it. I forgot what it's called. And then run Fastlane. What are some, besides the simplicity, what are some advantages or disadvantages with like Xcode Cloud over using another service? I think advantages, it's how easy it is to set up and how, like, how fast everything is in terms of, like, the support. Not that the runners are actually okay. that fast. I think the last time, this was a long time ago, but I had a conversation with someone about the runners still being, like, Intel virtual machines. It was, like, a, okay. a bit of a strange setup they had, so it made, like, builds a bit slow. Yeah. And, it's whatever they got from Build Buddy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... Yeah, I think the, the main advantage for me is how quickly they, and it, it makes sense because of their tech, right? Like their tech stack and their versions yeah. and their machines, but how quickly they actually adopt new like beta versions, new like software releases for like macOS as well, and how quickly you can run on an, an Xcode beta and how many options you've got. So yeah, I think that's, that's one very big advantage, like probably... I've not really looked into how quickly they do it, but every time I check, there's like the latest beta, there's like, you know, the the most stable release, and you go back like a couple of versions as well of Xcode usually. Um, so I would say that's the main like advantage. It feels like it's like the native approach, like they're going to have access right. to everything before everyone else does in a way. So they've got like more time like prep for it, and they're going to be quicker like putting out like workflows. One thing that... And I think they're going to financially invest it, being yeah. that Apple is trying to pivot towards service. Yeah. It's like, okay, like they're already trying to upsell you when you have Xcode, so it makes total sense. These advantages, I would say one of them is the Swift package thing. Uh, I was really, really hoping for... They actually have some documentation about how to build Swift packages on Xcode Cloud, but it literally just says okay. it's not supported, like standalone. As soon as you click on it, uh, it's very misleading. You go on it and it says yeah. you can't do it standalone. You need to create an app target and then put your package in it, add it to the best plan, and then run the tests, which is okay. not what you want to do. Yeah, another disadvantage I would say is that it's it's quite young, like it as a as like a technology. Like the, it was only released like a couple of years ago, so there's still like limitations. For example, with uh, Fastlane, you can you could do on GitHub Actions, you could do like deliver like very, very quickly to upload metadata and release notes and all that stuff. And there was no native way of doing it in Xcode Cloud until fairly recently where they introduced like 
a directory called, I think it's release notes or text files or something where you can actually say what you want to put in your release notes in test flight. So that was added okay. only recently. So it's going to get better over time and they're going to invest time. And the last thing I would say about disadvantages is there's not, there's a pre-tier at the moment, which is ideal for any like indie devs. You're not, it's like 25 hours a month, I think, and you're probably not going to use them. Yeah. If you're like a solo dev, but that's some something that's in the like little writing on the pricing page is that that's ending at the end of this year. So there's not going to be a free tier okay. from the beginning of next year. So you're going to be paying fourteen ninety nine, I think, on the cheapest tier, and that will yeah four four ninety nine like no five dollars no, no, or fifty dollars fifteen fifteen as in fourteen ninety nine fifteen yeah got it got it okay okay. Yeah. So that's a month yeah. uh, for 25 hours of like compute time. So yeah, it's going to be a paid service. Basically, that's the, there's not going to be an option for a, for a free tier, regardless of the usage. Yeah. That kind of sucks. <laughs> if you already have an infrastructure, existing infrastructure for Seahawk, like for me, like I use Fastlane and I have custom tools that I have pre-built like Xcogen and using GitLab and all that stuff. Is there any reason I should be switching to Xcode Cloud? I I wouldn't say so, to be honest, at the time. If you've got a setup yeah. that works for you and it, it, you're adapted to that workflow and you like you it works for you, uh, then there, I, I wouldn't say there is like a reason to do so. If you were to switch as well, I don't know how it works with like Xcogen because I think it needs the Xcode project committed to like to the repository for Xcode Cloud to work. So yeah, you can't run any pre stuff. Yeah. It might be a bit tricky. So I think you can run a post clone. So maybe you're able to kind of like generate the project. Then I think that's where you install the third party dependencies. So maybe you're able to generate the Xcode project there and it might like pick it up. I'm I'm not quite sure how that, how that will work. But if you wanted to use your fast link scripts that you already have, you can like use them still with, with Xcode Cloud. You can put like little hooks in different places. You can install like Fastlane as well nice. on the runners. So you can still like reuse some of the logic you have. As to whether I would switch or not, if you've got something that works for you, to be honest, I probably wouldn't like wouldn't bother. If you start something fresh and you want to try it out and see if it like works for you, I would maybe like suggest trying it out because it's it's pretty good. But it has to be like specific use case it has to be an application if you're releasing a an open source package or a library or anything like that i wouldn't i wouldn't bother because it it doesn't you'll be jumping through like hoops to make things work and it'll be more painful than than useful so let's talk a little bit about xcode 15 and what do you think are like the biggest game changers that's come out uh in the last few months that's gonna like really help Mm -hmm. development i think in terms of like project structure and something that I've been like frustrated for some time now and um, with like modular projects because I I work in uh, I player in the BBC I work in a very big like modular project and we've got a okay. bunch of like dependencies that are internal to the organization that are still like CocoaPods so we can't really use some of our packages some of our modules are Swift packages some of them some of the other ones are Xcode projects like frameworks so we We've got like some dynamic frameworks and some of the pain that we actually experience is that you can't in like Apple ecosystems in iOS, you can't really have like umbrella frameworks that embed like other frameworks basically. So you need to embed them 
link them dynamically on a library or a framework and then embed them at the root of your application. So okay. say you've got like a feature, your whole feature, and you split your feature into two different modules, which is the UI and the core. Only if everything's dynamic, only have to import home on your app target. You also have to import home UI and home core because okay. like can embed them so it can find the app can find them at, at runtime. So that was okay. one of the like biggest like pain points that I always had because this, even though you can enforce it with like some coding practices, it actually leaks like the the two modules because you have to import them at and embed them at up uh, target level. So Right, right, right. This is all changing with mergeable libraries. So which is something that they introduced with Xcode 15. I think it's, yeah, I've tried it on, on a couple of like modules as well at work, just on a, a few like demo, like spikes and tests. It works very well. Like what you can basically do is you can tell it to create like a binary. It works like umbrella frameworks. So you can technically have embedded, it, embedded libraries in a framework, in a, in a project. And what it does is it gets the best of like static and dynamic frameworks. It does a lot of like magic as well. And it, it makes like computer dependency list at the app target level a lot, a lot simpler. So that's one of the things that for maybe selfish re- reasons, because I work in like modular applications quite a lot. I'm super, yeah, super excited yeah, yeah. about. And so is this like you would set up a framework, you set up frameworks in Xcode and then you say, make them, make them Mergeable libraries, or how does that work? So you basically do it at the framework. So there's two ways it can work. So at the framework level, at the library level, you tell it whether you want automatic or manual mergeable libraries. So library merging okay. or whatever it's called. And it will grab all of the dependencies. And if you select automatic, you will try to mer- merge all of the dependencies into the final binary of that library. And then whenever okay. you embed or import that library into your app, you will you will no longer have to embed any of the dynamic libraries it's linking against. It will just happen mm-hmm. magically. And the other mode is, I think it's called manual. And then you choose, you basically pick and choose whichever libraries you want to merge and whichever you actually don't. So it's a bit like manually. You do it manually. Okay. In that case, it it is pretty cool. Uh, it's one of the things that got like missed. It didn't get a lot of attention, but if you've got a modular application and you're struggling with like massive dependency list and embeds in your app target, this has come to fix it. Like it's, yeah, it's absolutely fantastic. And they've done some, yeah, pretty amazing work on it. So with, with Bushel, I think I'm up to like 20 different like targets Mm -hmm. and I I do all Swift packages. Is Mm -hmm. there any advantage I would have with like mergeable libraries when it comes to everything being in a Swift package? So I think you get all of the cool things for free. If you're in a Swift package, okay. so in a Swift package, you can declare whether you want it to be dynamic or static. You want the type to be dynamic or static, or you can leave it blank, which means that Xcode will do some magic for you and it will pick okay. what okay. suits best. So you get okay. all of this is free for you on Swift packages. This is for Xcode frameworks, basically. Which, got it, got it. So if yeah. I'm automatically creating a project and referring to the product in my app then it'll automatically use whatever it's supposed to use okay yeah as a yay as Good a, job me. yeah exactly <laughs> yeah it's fantastic like i think the only reason why we've got xcode frameworks is because we've got like some limitations where we need to import like cocoa pod dependencies and stuff like that which is right, yeah right. It's a bit I, get it. I get it 
Objective C. Yeah. Python. God knows what. Okay. (laughs) One of the things you have on here is, well, let's talk about Swift packages. There's a couple of things we've got this year. So macros Mm -hmm. now is essentially a part of a Swift package. Like there's no way of doing it, building your own macro without going around Swift packages. You pretty much have to do it through (laughs) that, correct? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. What's been your experience with macros? Have you built your own yet? Uh, so I tried the like demo URL one, like the okay. type save URL, and I tried the like yeah, yeah, yeah. Springify uh, one as well. I I'm still struggling a bit. I'm not gonna lie; they're pretty complex <laughs> uh, to kind of like understand. Uh, and yeah, yeah, I'm working on one that's now a like little testing library. So something I did with like with sorcery a while back, where you can basically generate yeah mocks, that makes sense yeah directly just trying to do it with macros just to learn basically and get some more like level of modularity with those macros it's pretty impressive what it can do it's yeah it's it's very very cool and i do like anything that's like compile time and build time and it kind of like gives you that compiler safety as well and you can even write like unit tests around it i'm a big fan of and it doesn't require having to go use another tool to like generate code as well which is yeah it's pretty right. impressive and obviously, right, right. it makes sense to be familiar with all of that, right? Because Swift Data is using that. And obviously, the new observable stuff, it's all going to be using macros as well. So, yeah, it makes a lot of sense to get as familiar as possible. I have to say, I've been avoiding it a bit as much as I could because I feel like it, yes. it messes with my head quite a lot. Like when I start looking at the syntax trees and all that yeah. kind of thing, I end up just writing a ton of strings of code just trying to like this is what i want to generate do this for me but yeah how how come have on, you Chad, found gpt it? where's yeah, exactly. what your macros exactly. for me come on how have you found yeah. found it have you made any macros yet? so i i am the same i'm a consumer not a yeah. like not a developer yeah, of yeah. macros i just i just too once i go down that rabbit hole i'm just never gonna get out and the next thing i know i've had like 20 200 macros uploaded to github and it's like now now i need to build an app i need to like actually use them so in that case what what so as a user i think i mentioned this just a couple of weird things where like it messes like some stuff just doesn't work quite the way you think it would Mm -hmm. i've had some weird issues where i had like the day before WWDC, I had like a class or struct called preview. And then I'm like trying to use new live previews and it wasn't working because it was, there was a name conflict. And of course I didn't know that. Like, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, I'm, these live previews don't even work in my version of Xcode. What's going on? And then I realized, Oh, it's because I had a type I put in the day before without even knowing they were going to set these up. And then like, there's some weird stuff. If you have still have like avail availability markers. Okay. Or availability attributes that kind of messes with it. So I have to figure out a way around Ooh. that. Interesting. But yeah, it works. I'm glad we have expansion so we can mm. actually see what the heck is going on. Because without that, I think it'd be weird. But yeah, I'm using observation and Swift data everywhere. Nice. So I'm totally a consumer now of macros everywhere. Yeah, we, yeah, I've, I've started using like Swift data in, in quite a lot of places now. And I think it was yesterday I had like Twitter run because so. We, yeah, if, if you've got like a big chunk of data that you're loading from the database and you're doing like mm-hmm. extensive stuff, like your UI suffers quite a lot. And the reason, okay. yeah, the reason for that, even though they release like model actors and you can put everything in like an isolated actor that runs on a different thread, the database okay. access is all, has all been synced up to the main thread. And that's 
Yeah, it, it's it's very very strange. But I think there was an issue in before beta seven where you were able to kind of like do things on the background, but then that those changes wouldn't synchronize to the main thread, so the UI wouldn't refresh until you kind of like restarted the app. Um, and then yeah. people like devs complained about it. And then the solution seemed to be to put synchronize the changes on like the main thread. So put all the database access on the main thread, which is, yeah, which is pretty annoying. That issue is still on the like RC as well. Um, and on that thread, like someone replied saying that they were like a few people replied saying they were experiencing the same issues as well. And yeah, I feel like it's been, right. it's been a bit frustrating, but I, I actually love like Swift data and how easy it makes yeah. everything uh, so i'm hoping that that gets fixed like at some point soon before before the release uh, wasn't that like one of the big things with managed object context was you're supposed to run it on the background yeah so it's like weird that like swift data require i see okay you're updating the view so you want on mm-hmm. the main thread but still i could see in your case that being a pain in the neck yeah so um i think you're able to run yeah all of the kind of like Code all the way up until uh, up until the you know it needs to insert into yeah into the database. Okay. I think all of that can happen in a, in another in another thread, but it's just the database access and stuff that seems to be on the main thread. I'm not entirely sure why, but yeah, it's something that we're like struggling with at the moment. But yeah, hopefully it get fixed. <laughs> Do you miss anything with core data? I don't. I don't think so. I wasn't like I know like okay. curate still uses. Or data, so I've not migrated anything okay. yet. Um, because, but I I quite like it. I'm quite happy with the way Core Data wo- works. And I, if, at any of my jobs, we never really used Core Data, so my experience is not like amazing with it either. Like yeah. I've not used it like extensively, other than my my own apps. And my experience has been alright, apart from like some weird crashes that you get every so often that you need to look into. Right. But yeah, other than that, I'm quite yeah quite happy with it. There's nothing. Yeah. Um, and I think there was a Swift package. Yeah, no, I like Swift data. I feel like now it's like I don't feel apprehensive about mm-hmm. using core data. Like I didn't have anything against it, but I was like, I don't really want to put this in if they're going to replace yeah. it. So to finally have that replacement, it's like, okay, now I can, like, I don't care if there's bugs with it. I'd rather work with this and know Apple's going to maintain it mm-hmm. as opposed to like core data, which is like, yeah, I think pain it, in the neck to deal with, and and the interface is still so object Objective C like. It really it's is. Just like, ugh. Yeah, yeah. I think if there's something that you're missing from core data that you don't have in in Swift data, I think someone made I read it in like iOS Dev Weekly a couple of weeks ago. Someone made a Swift package called Swift Data Kit, which okay. kind of like bridges the gap and gives you like some extra functionality. Then you nice. it exposes some like core data, more like complex functionality that's not available to Swift. So that I've not tried okay. it yet, but it sounds pretty interesting as well. If you want like some some extra bits or this, that's something that you you like you wish Swift that I had that core data. Yeah. Any other developer stuff you want to talk about before we hop in and talk about some of the projects you're working on? I think. I think that's that's about everything. I think other like Xcode 15, well, that's more of a like a Swift 5.9 feature that I think it's great is the fact that you're now going to be able to do a network requests from like with package okay. management. Yeah, explain that a little bit. So what, what does that mean? Yes. Yeah, so basically the way plugins used to work, so they're the equivalent to like build phases in, in Xcode projects. So you can run 
build scripts where, or even command plugins where you either run them as part of the build process or you run them manually when within a sort of package, basically. So Swift package plugins for like the safety of the developer and for, for safety reasons, they run in a very tight, like sandboxing environment, which means that yep. you need to, you can only write to a specific directory. If you've got a command uh, plugin, if you want to write to the package directory, you need to ask for permissions basically, but from Swift and they also don't allow you to do any network requests to either like a local server or to a remote server, basically. Um, and from Swift 5.9, there's a new permission you can ask. So you can ask the user for permissions to make network requests. So it's going to make like command plugins super, super useful because you, you'll be able to make any nice. network request you want. And this is an example of this is the, I don't know if you've used the Swift AWS Lambda runtime project. Yes. So they've got a... Yeah, I did a client project with that. Yeah. So yeah. So they've got a command plugin to package your, your Swift Lambda into a zip file, yep. which is called Archive. And that requires you to disable the sandbox so that you can make requests to like a Docker daemon to build the application. Mm, yeah, yeah, so yeah. So you're no longer going to have to disable the sandbox. You They just need to add a permission from Swift 5.9 that says we need your permission to make contact with the Docker daemon. And it will be like a lot. Simpler and you'll build a bit more like trust. You won't have to uh, ask the user to be like, oh yeah, disable like your sandbox to for us to run all this code. You'll be able to say why you want to disable the sandbox and only for that specific reason. So I think that's a big like game changer for tools like that that need to make network mm. requests either to like a local server, remote, or like to a docker like Daemon as well. So yeah, that's another big thing coming in. Yeah, so 5.9. We're talking about Swift packages. Like, what kind of stuff do you do in your CI to make sure that your your packages are easily consumable and working properly? I think the, in my like CI/CD, what I do is I tend to run them in like if I support like multiple platforms, I tend to just run them in both. The, like, I usually tend to support like macOS and Linux, so I just run them on like both, mm -hmm. and I spin up like a yep. couple of workflows. Tend to have like automated like release workflows as well. I've written like a bunch of blogs about how you can automate like all this kind of stuff. Okay, and I think in terms of like making sure that everything still works, like having tests and actually running them on CI on all the yeah. platforms you support is the only way you can actually yes. achieve like make sure that everything works and. I'm a very, very forgetful person. And I think the passion for like tooling and CI/CD comes from that, from like yeah, yeah. Yeah, mistakes I've done, yeah, I've done in the past and I yeah. want to fix basically. Yeah. So I've got like, yeah, I'm doing the same thing. I'll run and I'll set up a matrix for Linux, mm -hmm. Ubuntu to run a couple of versions of Ubuntu, a few versions of Swift, whatever I support. And then like, same thing try to do the whole gamut of Mac OS versions. And then you do like Xcode build for iOS or watch OS or whatever else I want to support. So yeah, I'm on the same page as you. Nice. What's this thing about automated accessibility audits? Yeah. So that's, that's another of the things I was like super excited about because we, so at, at the BBC, we've got like a very big focus on like accessibility for, for our app. Uh, and one thing that I, wanted to do a while ago and uh, there's an amazing like library that is no longer ma maintained anymore but by Rob Whitaker who speaks a lot about yep. like accessibility and he's yeah absolutely amazing he made the library to automate 
accessibility checks on UI tests. So it would just spin up a screen in your app and it could check for like whether your controls had enough like target size that were big enough, like enough of a, like a touch area, uh, whether your images were labeled accordingly, whether you were missing like some accessibility labels, all that kind of thing. But yeah, it was still like a third-party library and you had to kind of like import it. That is all now part of Exit or XUI test element, whatever it's called. So yeah, okay. as with, with Xcode 15, you're going to be able to run uh, accessibility audits, basically. So you can spin up your application in a specific screen and you can call on XUI application, you can call perform audit, I think, or check accessibility okay. or something like that. And then it will just check for whether you've got click text, whether your app resizes for like dynamic type. Uh, whether there's sufficient like color contrast for all of your text okay. and, and elements, it's literally zero effort. Like it's minimal effort to set it up and it can save you like a lot of like trouble. You can automate it on CICD and if you've implemented a new feature like on UI and you've made a mistake, you've not, for example, not, you've made your text like a color that's not got enough contrast, it will just flag it up and show your, your build before you release so you can go and fix it. Uh, it's Okay. Pretty cool. And there's no need for like a third party library. I guess it's all inspired by projects that, you know, open source project that, that existed uh, before, I guess. So yeah, could have still like Rob and... was happily Sherlocked as a developer. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. <laughs> but yeah, amazing project to be honest. So yeah. Who's yeah. Rob's, name? Rob's amazing. Yeah. I met him and he's, yeah, t like you said, he's really dedicated to accessibility and stuff. So yeah, maybe I need to have them on. Okay, what have you been working on? Well, first of all, let's plug your app that I've been using. If you're watching this on YouTube, if you look, I think I'm going to put it on the lower end, assuming you're or in the top. Usually it's one of the two. You'll see a QR code there that I always put that goes to either the transistor social media page for this episode, or it'll go, I've been lately link him to bright digit mm -hmm. podcast episode page and i always have that there on youtube so people who want to subscribe to the podcast can do that and if you want to subscribe to the youtube page that's good too so do that right now while you're listening to this but yeah i had been just pulling them up there's a website i used to create the qr codes it was fine there was always finagling to get it to work properly and then i'm like oh Paul, you did it. You created what I've been looking for because I was like, it was on my bucket list of apps to create, but I'm super glad. In this case, I'm super glad somebody else has done it for me. Mm -hmm. We have Curate? Curate? Cur curate? Yeah. Curate? I, okay. I think, uh, it, yeah. However you want to pronounce it, I feel like I don't even know how to pronounce it by yourself. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's awesome. It's been a great tool, a great asset for the uh, production of the show. So, I'll let you explain it and why you made it and what are some bells and whistles that you really love about it? Yeah. So I, the reason why I made it. So for anyone who doesn't know the app, it's, yeah, it's curate, curate, however you want to call it, you can call curate. it that. Curate. I like curate, curate. like yeah. curating. Perfect. Yeah, no, that's good. So yeah, curate is a QR code generator, basically. So you can create any QR codes, give it some content, choose the, it's pretty customizable at the moment. So you can choose like the shape of your uh, QR code, the color, background color, all that, all that kind of stuff. And you can quickly export it to like a clipboard or put into like an image, like JPEG, uh, or I think it's uh, PNG as well that I allow to export. And it's got no tracking, no anything like that. Everything stays on on device as well, which is something that people people love and something I wanted to make. 
because one of the frustrating parts is that finding a QR code service or website that actually works well is pretty hard. And sometimes yes. you don't really want to, and most of them offer like tracking by default. So it basically will give you, they're either like paid services or they give you like some- Like a UTM type yeah, stuff? Yeah, yeah, Or some yeah. like- Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, some specific like how many people have built it, all that kind of stuff, which is, which can be useful, but sometimes you don't actually need it. Like for example, I yeah. the reason why I made it was because I wanted to create like QR codes for my talks, uh, for the talks I gave at conferences and for like Twitter awesome. sometimes. And yeah. I just wanted something very, very simple. And yes, I- I honestly thought no one was going to use it. It was just going to be me. And I was happy about that because I needed the app. And it turns out like it got a very like nice reception. Like people have been using it a lot. I Every time I go yeah. to like conference, people like I went to ISF UK weeks ago to speak and the organizers. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. The organizers were using like used to create for all the like QR codes in the slides for the introduction. And they were like, oh yeah, we used your app. And I was like, oh yeah, that's, that's very nice. And then. I got a message uh, today as well that uh, someone was used my app to create QR codes for the slides uh, in Spain as well. So yeah, it's, it's pretty nice. It fits like the use case that I had, which is creating QR codes for presentations and for like sharing your your work. Basically, I think that's how I brand it, like a simple way of like just sharing what you do. So yeah, you could put a little logo in the middle, which is what I do if you see, yeah. and it's like super simple. It's just exactly what I need. It's like. A, all I want is something I can import into Final Cut and <laughs> just put it in my videos. And yeah, so and there's there it, there it is. there it is there it is yeah and there's yeah, and it works great. There's nothing in so, the middle either, yeah. so like it's all just a QR code with a URL. So and the URL you provide, so there's no proxy or anything in the middle. So the QR codes are not going to stop working like ever. Uh, so yeah, that that's one of the things that I like because I went back to like a presentation I did last year and I grabbed all the QR codes that I had and none of them worked because I was using like some service that I had a free trial on. And so they all stopped working because they pointed to either the service first and then that redirected to URL, which is it's quite annoying. Like I don't want people to have to do that. And I think I got asked when I launched, someone asked, oh, does it have tracking? And I was like, oh, no, I, mean, I might implement it in the future. People want it. And they were like, no, 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 please don't. Like, we don't, I don't want tracking. <laughs> like, I don't care about it. I really don't want it. Like, it's fine as it is. So yeah, that was some nice, like, feedback. Less work for me as well. What What was like, so, so QR codes, like, I assume there's a tunnel. Is there any native libraries to generate those? I know there's obviously native stuff to, to read them. Mm -hmm. Um, I think there is a way you can, and Paul Hudson has a way of like some article on how you can generate like QR codes natively. I don't think it's very customizable though. Uh, so you can generate okay. like a box standard like QR code that then you can share with people. But I used a library called, I think it's called QR code. I can't remember what, what it's called. I can share it like with you later and you can put it in the Yeah, we'll put it notes. in the show notes. Yeah. But it's pretty cool. Like, What was the biggest challenge with building this app or what was the challenge that surprised you the most? I think the challenge was my lack of experience with macOS. I think that was my, my biggest challenge. I used SwiftUI like for the whole thing, to be honest. And yeah, setting up yes. the core data stack was a bit off and then getting into sync with like CloudKit because I'm working on the uh, iOS version at the moment. So... That that was the biggest like challenge for me. I had very little experience with core data, and I thought it was a bit of a pain to kind of like get it all set up. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think that was the biggest like thing. And my lack of experience again with, with Mac made it a bit hard to kind of like just how do I make this like split view and all that kind of thing. Turns out with Sofia it's pretty simple. But I think once I get to more complicated stuff, and that's what I have been dreading. So I'm currently working on the iOS part and also working on like templates. So someone requested if you wanted to kind of like share a, a Wi-Fi password QR code that you could generate like a template that would just have the fields already for you rather than having to hard code okay. like the URL and type it out yourself. I think I don't know how yeah, I'm going to yeah, model yeah. The, the core data uh, stack uh, at the moment, but... I'll, I'll figure it out. It's going to be a bit tricky. Maybe I'll wait until script yeah, yeah, data yeah. is a thing and it's live and I, I don't know how I'm going to do it. I'll, I'll figure it out. <laughs> it's one of the, the beautiful things about like being a, a developer, right? It's just fun. Find solutions yeah, to yeah. problems. <laughs> Yay. Yeah. So what else have you been working on lately? So yeah, apart from Puree, I think about a month ago, I started working with everything you, you met in Turin as well. Um, mm -hmm. and yeah, we did an episode about the ah, watch awesome. OS 10. So nice. yeah. So yeah, I've been, yeah, I've joined him in an app called Now Playing. So we're now both working on it. And yeah, just working with him on the iOS 17 update as well. And we're, yeah. What's Now Playing? So Now Playing is an app. It's a music app, basically, that allows you to discover data and trivia about songs. And you can like save songs as well into your live collection okay. and you can basically like create your own little collection of music as well you can see for a song uh if you're playing on apple music and you jump over to uh to now playing as well it will show what you're currently playing so you can tap on it and um okay and it makes sense because it's called now playing right so it shows you what, what it's yeah. what it's playing now right um, and then you can jump on it you can see how many awards uh it's got we collect data from like a bunch of different um, APIs as well, and we show uh, lyrics, we show like certain notes and trivia and facts about the song itself, who wrote okay. it, like other than just like the the artists themselves, where it was recorded, all that kind of things. So it's like your companion kind of to Apple Music yep. at the moment. So yeah, we're just working together on it. Which... Does it plug into Apple Music or the Apple Music API or any of that stuff? Yeah, so it does, it does work with uh, okay. Music Kit, basically alongside other other APIs as well, but the main source is MusicKid. For if you're listening to something in Apple Music, does it give you the the trivia, or you have to pull up the app? So or... you need to go to the app to give you the trivia. Okay. So, okay. Yeah. You don't... And you listen. You can listen to music through the app itself. And you can't at the moment. You can listen to small the previews and snippets, but it, okay. all I can say is it might. In the future, we'll yeah, see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, we'll see. It's one of the things we maybe maybe some Shazam kit work I can see in the future. So we've got, or do you already have that? We've got that. So we've got Shazam okay. kit. Oh, yeah. So you can basically awesome. listen. So it's it was built as well as like the WhatsApp was built as like a party companion as well. So you could just like yeah have it listening to songs and it would just like give you facts about them as well as you were in a party awesome. and stuff. That's awesome. So yeah, that's yeah. that's very exciting. I think yeah, so he they had the app before he released it like on his own. And then we yeah, we met in Amsterdam last year and we got on like very well together. We both like have a passion for music as well. We both like collect records. And then he moved to Manchester where I lived as well from Amsterdam. So it was like the a lot of things fell like fell into place as well. Um and then after a while we were discussing and he was like, Oh, I would love to just 
continue building this, like, but with you in this case. So we kind of like just decided to both like take ownership of the app and work on it together and just take it forward and kind of like take it to to the next like step. And that's that's awesome. Yeah, that's where a lot the, of a lot the, of devs love re- buying records. Like Adam had his presentation. Oh yeah, yeah the I had albums, heroes. Yeah. Like that's like yeah, that must be a thing, which I appreciate. But yeah, that's that's great. It feels um, feels a bit weird, right? That we. As like tech people and like developers would go back yeah. to analog stuff quite a lot. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, really yeah, weird. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Just to plug our next episode, Casey Liss is going to come on and talk about Call Sheet, a very similar nice. app to Now Playing. So just basically like a movie counterpart. So Amazing. be on the look for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, that seems like a thing people want. It's like, what do they call it? We talked, I think I talked to Hide about this, like the, I think we did talk about this app. So it was like the x-ray on Amazon, yeah, like yeah, that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and that sounds like kind of what Casey's doing as well. So cool. Yeah, yeah. I love that stuff. So nice. So before we close out, I do want to geek out about one more topic. <laughs> you want to build a ready to use UI components for CLIs and Swift. This is something that I've geeked out about. There was a really, I forgot who, the name, but I'll post the link to the repo. I mentioned it to you, mm-hmm. but there's like a ton of projects out there where people have been trying to do this. I've been trying to do this. How's that been going? And you want to explain what you're trying to do exactly? Yeah. So my work has been like, so, so I'm very, when I started like developing command line applications before I went to just making everything with like Swift, I did a lot of like JavaScript uh, for like CLIs. And I was very, very jealous when I moved over to, to Swift about how many libraries there were to do like pretty like like stunning UI on like the terminal. You could even have like React components as well, like some form of like React components, like a very obviously like narrowed down version of reacting in the terminal. That's what kind of like inspired me to, yeah, to like migrate. And the reason why I did it was because I wanted to use a library called Clack, which is a JavaScript library that allows you to do a like step-by-step form of, you can, I'll, can send you the link and I'll, you can put it on the show notes as well, but it's like yeah. a step-by-step form with like async, like spinners and loaders and like uh, text and there's like, it, it's got selects like multi-select speakers it, it's pretty amazing like all you can do and and i want just to build like a swift port uh, that i can use because i really really like the library it's made by one of the creators of astro the web framework who's called nate Moore, i think okay. so yeah it's it's got like a lot of backing i think astro used it i don't know if they still use it uh, cloudflare the cli also uses black under the hood i believe so okay, yeah, there's a, okay. ba- a bunch of like people using it, but I have recently, so I'm giving a talk next month in Leeds about like CLI applications. And I'm going to be talking a lot about how to make like a beautiful like UI on the terminal. So I'm going to be talking about like all of these geeky things you can do. And I've come across like a ton of like libraries. I haven't come across the one you showed me and I'm going to be trying yeah, it out. It's Renz Brewer who posted it on on the Swift UI or the Swift subreddit a while ago. And I'm like, I've been looking for something like this. Cause there's like a lot of tools out there. I used to be subscribing to forgot the subreddit where it was like basically a showcase of like different nice. terminal tools. And I'm just like, I wish 
So we have argument parser, which is awesome and fantastic, but I wish there was something like to build these really cool terminal applications. I'm just like waiting for the use case to use this. And like, I think, I think I'm thinking like maybe one, one use case is like when you're running a vapor server, it'd be nice to have an interface, like a dashboard to show you what's going on on vapor. That's one thing I've had in the back of my head. I have a few ideas, but like, yeah, it's just like, the, the ability to see progress, the mm-hmm. ability to like do colors. And it's all like, like I, I started playing around with like ASCII codes and stuff. So I've definitely gone down that rabbit hole yep. of like, like, okay. So that stuff is actually easy. It's when I start doing like, okay, how do I use like, how do, how the heck does Swift UI do view builders? Yeah. And how do they do states? And how do they do like all this stuff that's just like, like what is going on here? And how do they build these views? Because I want to do something like that. Like, I know how to do it with characters, but I don't know how to do, make it as friendly as Swift mm-hmm. UI is. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. I, so yeah, that's where I got stuck. It's, yeah, that, that project looks super, super promising. Like, I'll be trying it out. Because what I'm doing for the for my Tolkien Swift leads, I'm doing a command line tool that uses MusicKit to, like, fetch song information. So similar to now playing, basically, where we, yeah, I get, a ton of like songs information from like a text field where the user can type in. And then I'm going to do a list where the user can like scroll and pick from that list. And then it's going to launch an application and it's going to like play the, the song basically. So it's like a heavy, like involved, like with CLI. Yep. And it, what are they? So he worked, Renz works at SoundCloud and he has an example of using SoundCloud. Oh, nice. So that's pretty cool. You got you got a you got a you got a starter there. Nice. Hopefully, I'll have a look. Yeah, I'll have yeah. a look. Amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, there's yeah. there's some like projects out there. I don't know if you've come across Ansi Terminal. There's like a it's a Swift package mm-hmm. that you can it simplifies all of the changing colors and making things yes. like bold and yep. stuff. And you can also yeah. read like the cursor position as well. And you can like jump around. You can move the yes. cursor. It's yeah. Really entertaining. It's pretty cool, but your yeah. code gets very messy yeah. very quickly, and it's very easy to kind it of does. lose focus. It does. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 So yeah, that's awesome. To yeah, we've we've got to keep trading notes on that. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll let you know. Yeah, I was gonna say, give me yeah, give yeah, me yeah. update with what, how you get on and and stuff like that because I'd be super interested to, to hear what you do. So, and if you're uh, somebody who's also interested, listener, let us know in the notes. We'd, we'd love to hear any feedback. Yeah. So. Anything else before we close out? I don't think so. Yeah, no. Well, obviously, thanks for having me. Like, I, yeah, been as I said before, I've been a part of the podcast, and I got yeah, I met you in in Turin as well, and we yeah we spoke for a bit, and yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Really, really enjoyed it. Where can people find you, Paul? Um, so they can find me pretty much everywhere now. I'm completely overwhelmed with social media. So you can find me. <laughs> <laughs> on run a newsletter called the well actually there's one link where you can find everything so you can either go to bento.me slash paul or you can go to okay. a little service that i have called paul.link if you go to that it will show you all of my links so you can find me everywhere there and whatever awesome. suits you whatever social media you're on you can like find me there i'll probably be i'm not on blue sky or threads in the other ones if you think i am i think i have enough social media now can't cope with anymore so if you want to find paul's myspace or aol instant messenger name go there thank you paul really appreciate it yeah same thank you so much for having me people can find me on i'm still not used to saying this x 
at Leo G. Dion, Mastodon at Leo G. Dion C at ca.im. My company is Bright Digit. You can find all my links there as well. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode. And I look forward to talking to you again. Bye, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>